beloved, you are now tuned in to Three Black Men, a podcast by three black men where we talk about theology, culture, and the world around us. The following content may not be suitable if you ain't real enough. Listener discretion is advised because real recognize real. Here's the hope when we look familiar. everybody welcome back to the podcast my name is robert and i am trey (laughs) and we are the two black men uh this time uh samuel is not with us and we have uh, a special guest for you all that i'm really excited uh to talk about many things with so uh reverend major james woodall Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm grateful to be here in this space and to share uh, a little bit about my experience and and what we all can do together. Um, yeah, and we uh, so this season we're talking about liberation uh, and exploring that topic uh, from a lot of different angles. And one thing that when we were brainstorming for this season that we really wanted to get into was politics. And uh, and so when I was thinking of someone that I really respect uh, and I follow for uh, a, a long time was you. And I've really appreciated uh, both your transparency, your consistency, and how you go about the works. And so I guess my, my first question for you would be, could you share a little bit about your journey who you are most definitely so you know i think about when i first started uh you know in politics or you know service rather because that i think that's more so what it is mm-hmm. uh it, it 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 really was born out of necessity because uh i remember in 2013 after the murder of eric garner who was was choked to death and he screamed the words i can't breathe um, before George Floyd ever did. Um, and we were at the time trying to figure out how we as a, 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 st- a student campus or a student community, how we would you know respond to that. And we saw the world uh, in many ways, you know, really, really get to a place where we're questioning what is going on. And so in the words of Marvin Kate, right, what is going on? But after that situation, I think that was 2012, 2013. After that, we had, you know, issues on campus related to Confederate monuments where uh, there was a, a monument on the courthouse lawn that was public property. And there were certain segments of that community that wanted to see that gone. And so what we were doing is trying to organize that. That's really where uh, my experience comes from is just organizing. And it has been a very difficult experience because one, you have to obviously deal with the realities of, you know, the grift culture and, and, and people who are yes. corrupt, but you also have to, uh, you know, deal with the kind of people that necessarily profit from pain. And so with those two in, things in mind, whether it's people intra-community or inter-community, 
um, it was very difficult. But I think, you know, ultimately we have had a great deal of success in waking the people up from the drunken slumbers of Americanism. And what I mean by that is there's a phrase in the song, Let Everything I Lift Every Voice, that says, drunk with the wines of the world, we forget the our jobs is to ensure that people are able to remember the the in which they have forgotten. And um, the interesting thing about drunkenness and, and inebriation is that it is oftentimes, uh, it oftentimes puts people into a slumber. It puts people to sleep. And it is an uncontrollable psychological response to a exterior uh, uh, substance or external substance. And so part of part of what we're having to do is to decipher what that external substance is and then to compound that with what is actually taking place within the body, the mind, the soul that responds to that substance's presence. And so that is the work of organizing is to connect the dots so that people can see what is going on. That That is ultimately what led me into, you know, this this space of policymaking and political activism and organizing and ultimately, you know, doing the work of liberation. Ooh. Hey, I, I want to let you know you you was you was preaching right there. I, I had to I had to mute my microphone because I went into my into my prayer language, into my shot. I, I, I went there real quick because when, when you said we have to remember what the V is and drunk with the wine of the world, we forget the um that was that was powerful and I think significant because as you speak, I hear a man who was not only dedicated to liberation, but to integrity, right? Because I noticed in like looking over your bio and not only somebody who is um, adept at navigating the world of policy, but familiar with the world of, of the church and religion, right? Um, you're, you're also a minister. And you had mentioned something about grift culture, which like two of the biggest and easiest areas to grift in this nation are are in the religious space, like in the church space and in the political arena, right? Um, so, and, and I'm sure that's like an area that that you, you've encountered people, well, I don't wanna speak for you. I'd imagine that that is an area where you've encountered people uh, with, I suppose, dubious motivations, but in hearing how you navigate both of these spaces with a mind keyed on liberation, I'm first of all, fascinated. Uh, mildly impressed if I'm being honest about that, but also curious as to what mores, uh, mores, I guess if you want to pronounce things the way they're supposed to be pronounced, supposed the way they spelled, um, but what, what mores and ethics ground you as you navigate these spaces and um, how do you prevent yourself or how do you resist the the, the temptation to, to grab for the grift when, of course, like anytime you're in these spaces, um, you get, you get opportunities every now and then, right? Like, what, what can you speak on what grounds you? For sure. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That's what my grandmother used to sing, at, well, lift as a psalm of David. Uh, I think that's the 115th psalm, if I'm not mistaken. I might be wrong with that, so don't quote me on it. But um, when you think about what grounds each of us, um, for me, it is that psalm because and i've said this time and time again this is no new thing is that when we heard the words i can't breathe in 2013 when we heard the words i can't breathe in 2020 when we heard i just want my mom in 2020 to me it was a sign of righteous indignation because 
if everything that has breath is to praise the Lord and it is literally being suffocated from their bodies, how can God get what God deserves? And so for me, it is really a prophetic call, uh, one that I can't, you know, run from um, as much as I would like to. Um, now, as it relates to opportunities, the reality is, I think what we've come to realize is that suffering is necessary for salvation and it's not. And those who are just the, the quote unquote suffering servant um, are the ones who uh, were told lies, quite frankly. And so I never have once postured to say that it is necessary to suffer and to be without to serve. In fact, um, you know, if we're working just as hard, if not harder than some people who are wealthy and, and, and lazy at the same time, then why can't we be as well? And so I'm not one who, who seeks to be rich or, you know, those kinds of things, but I'm also going to take what is uh, naturally mine, right? Uh, we don't work for free. And that that is a tell-old tale that suggests that the people who do the, the work of liberation should be impoverished. Um, I reject that fundamentally. It is a lie of white supremacy because those who usually are those working are the black women, are the black men, are the, you know, the LGBTQ brothers and sisters, uh, formerly incarcerated people who are doing the work of justice, the mishpat, right? Um, to, to bring forth the said, the loving kindness, right? Great is thy faithfulness, right? But is it that great that we must suffer with it? And so that, that's kind of how I approach that grounding, if you will, that says, how, how do we navigate a world that is commercialized to the degree that every single thing that we do has a value to it, um, while also recognizing that, hey, my life, my human, my, my human likeness, my humanity is not of value. It is invaluable. Um, so much so that it is it is something that we can't put a price tag to it, even though the world tries to every single day. Um, and so that's that's kind of how I think about it. I mean, I think about the many people, the generations of folks who come before me and whose shoulders in which I stand now as ancestors who who labor in the darkness for 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 many, many moons and didn't even get so much as a thank you. And so the work that we do in, in the, you know, I guess the compensation or the, the value in which we obtain, uh, you know, material excess, if you will, uh, is partly to be a reparation. Hmm. I love that. I love that. I, I have this curiosity as you talk about almost weaving the natural and the spiritual together to do the work your soul must have, uh, as Katie Cannon. Oh, Katie Cannon. Yeah, come on. Oh, right um, now? I, that, you know. um, I, I think of the, the many people who, people in general, but especially Black folks who are uh, very disillusioned with policymaking, very disillusioned with uh, promises from government, um, and almost put no stock uh, in the ability to change things. And there's a lack of uh, literacy uh, politically. And the answers continually given to uh, Black folks are just vote, you know, <laughs> instead of questioning, just vote. And I'm curious as your thoughts on that. Uh, I know you're running 
for office. And we can talk about that in a minute, but I'm just curious as what you would say to people who have no interest and who are disillusioned. Well, what I would tell them is, and what I have told them before, is that, again, there's a drunkenness, there's an inebriation in which people's tolerance to the drug has increased and therefore they need more of it. And so we've created a system of commercialization that makes transactional relationships norm. And they shouldn't be. That is not the order in which I believe the spirit has, has guided us to. Um, and it is really deconstructed in ways and destroyed in others. Uh, you know, the ultimate lie of, of white supremacy, which are some are human, others are not. And in my book, actually, you see it on the call white for racism, we we organize our, our spaces, our communities in a way that creates that other class, right? And so how do we re-enfranchise those who have been removed from the promise of citizenship? How do we re-empower those who have been disenfranchised through the acts of state violence? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so when I think about those kinds of people, it is important that we talk about what's actually going on, right? When we talk about, again, the breath, right? There's a virus going around right now that has uh, that has uh, variated in many ways, right? We had Delta, we had, I mean, I don't even know what the new one is now, but Child. it literally restricts the confines of one's respiratory process, right? Let everything that has breath. We talk about water, people drinking natural water, right? Well water or spring water or park water, whatever. And what happens when that water is contaminated with coal or the ash that's being produced to, to produce the electricity in one's home or the gas that literally keeps them warm in the winter? Breathe, right? They drink it and they cannot breathe because now they have cancer uh, from, from this, this pollutant. Or you think about the air and there's, you know, a plastic contaminate or a con contamination of the air because a plastic producing company is literally emitting our carcinogens into the atmosphere due to the production of a commercialized product, right? Talking about we can't breathe. I'm gonna stay on that for a second. And how do we control all of that? It's not to suggest that there's a lesser evil or greater evil, or there's only two parties. At the heart of it are needs. That's at the base of policy making, not politics, policy making. You think about utility bills, people saying, I cannot even afford to pay for a carton of eggs because my gas and my electricity is too high. My water is going to be shut off because I, I have not been able to afford it because I don't work a job that pays me a living wage. I can't breathe. How can you breathe if you cannot eat or you cannot drink water or you don't have a house over your head or the house that you have over your head doesn't have electricity and gas to keep you warm and, and able to see throughout the day and at night? How can you breathe, right? And I'm juxtaposing that breath with, with glory, remember. And so God becomes unhappy and God is not able to be all that God should be when God's people are suffering. And so how do we respond? The scripture says in Ezekiel 22 that the, the priests cover up for the politicians. 
politicians are like ravaging lions, t- killing their prey and taking literally whatever they want. They said extortion is rife, robbery is epidemic. The poor and the needy are being abused. The immigrant, the refugee being kicked around at will with no access to justice. The mishpah, that which is administered by official bodies of legislation. I look for someone to stand in the gap, just, just someone. So if it's good enough for God to go to the official halls of power and declare that there must be another way, why isn't it good enough for us? And so I'm not coming with a message that says you must vote because your ancestors died or because, uh, you know, there's blood uh, being shed for this right. My blood has been shed too. Speak, yeah. Right? My house has been, I want to say hunted, but it's been targeted, right? My life has been threatened. And so I don't have to look at 1960 and 1950 to see the power of organizing for democracy because I've done it in my lifetime. And even that's not. And so for me, the work of policymaking is to make true the promises, not just of this democracy in this country, but of God. And if I want my people to be able to breathe, then I must do something about the conditions that constrain their breath. I think one of the things, one I suspect that a lot of people listening to this conversation will come away with the seamlessness with which your faith guides your mind for policymaking, right? And, and I'm being intentional when I say that mind because as, as I'm sure you're aware, when we look at the scriptures and the Hebrew scriptures in particular, the the heart is actually the seat of of reason and understanding. So a lot of times we see things like, oh, Dave was a man after God's own heart. We're thinking of like emotions and everything when really the heart is more equivalent to what we would call the mind. So when I talk about your mind for policymaking, I'm referring to what the Bible would probably call your heart for that. And it's woven Trey, let me, together. Let me pause you because you, you got a, 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 a master of divinity here. I was about to say a theologian, but I wouldn't call myself that. Um, <laughs> in the Hebrew, there was no separation. Right. There was no separation between the heart, the mind, and the soul. Right. Right. The separation came when the children of Israel were taken captive. And remember, they spent 50 years in Egypt, about 49 years in Egypt, and 500 years in Babylon. Why do we take, or I'm sorry, 50 years in Babylon and 500 years in Egypt, why do we take the elements of the Babylonian experience? when it comes to how we view ourselves versus that of the Egyptians, which was very characteristic of an an inebriation, if you follow what I'm saying. Absolutely. We've forgotten the the, because the 50 years that we spent in, I'm going to make a metaphor here. I don't mean it uh, 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 literally, but we've taken the 50 years in a white man's world and exchanged it for 500 years in our own. And somehow we wonder why there's a disconnect. Mm. And I'm glad you paused me right there because you you already answered my question before I asked it. Because um, in in, in, uh, in on, explaining it that way, yeah, yeah, prophesy right there. Go deeper. Uh, in in explaining it that way, what what happens is you are embodying the wholeness of what it means to love the things of God, to love God, because 
a lot of times, particularly people who get high and mighty, as, as, as they used to say, so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. We bifurcate ourselves into these worlds and like, no, um, did we just need to pray about it and everything. When in reality, God's concern and devotion to God led to things being made righteous is, is doing the right thing. Righteous and justice are one and the same concept, right? To be unjust is to be unrighteous. And in so doing that, like uh, listening to you, it all of the wheels are turning for the many ways that this faith that so many people profess ought to drive us to be concerned about these things. And there's always this, sorry, this ain't even a question, right? Now. This is a reflection on me. Uh, this is a reflection on you answering the question I was about to ask before I asked it. But um, there's this, there's this, uh, thing where people feel nervous about getting too political as though there is a difference between believing <laughs> that God is a God of justice and righteousness and, and being concerned about these things. And so I guess um, have you haven't already answered the, the, the query I was about to levy. I, I just want to thank you for giving us these things to chew on as to how these are really one and the same, because I don't hear you talking about what you do uh, in the, the the realm of religion and in how your master divinity guides your your ministry and then how your policy making experience guides this you, you you haven't separated those two they are one and the same which i think is that something that a lot of people need to be affirmed in and that we don't we don't have to choose one road in this regard sure when you think about and again you brought the hebrew up not me so i'm going to go there but when you think about righteousness and justice those are two distinct concepts and the Hebrew is called Sedek, and it's called Mishpah, right? Mishpah, again, is those uh, uh, procedures, those those bodies of, of, of art, if you will. I think of policymaking in ways as art um, that allows there to be accountability, that allows for there to be an administration, that allows for there to be an, account, an accountability and administration of resource, right? Righteousness or the, or the, or the Sedek is more so the the discipline of accountability, if you will. And I, I don't even give it justice. And so for us to be believers, we have to first be able to investigate what we believe because it wasn't a, a, a God of religion that saved us, right? It was a salvation of the soul that, that freed us and that gave us humanity. That was the promise. The promise of humanity is what saves. Mm. But the moment we become so idealized to the things of the world, to become idolized to the wines of the world, we begin to forget. That's the sin. That's the sin. Yeah. And so when you talk about pursuing justice, what is justice? What is what does it look like for people to be saved from the sins of the world? Let's talk about that. Before Sam, Rob, and myself were podcast co-hosts, we were friends. This podcast grew out of a friendship. And honestly, it's grown into something more of a podcast. It's now a community. You can take part in that community at patreon.com slash three black men, all the way spelled out. And in that community, you'll get early access to episodes, bonus content like writings, videos, even some live conversations that you can take part in. In the event that you'd like to support us but aren't ready to commit to Patreon yet, you can submit a one-time gift via PayPal, where you'll find us at 3blackmenpodcast at gmail.com. However you choose to support, we're thankful that you did.
Let's get back to the show. When you think about righteousness and justice, those are two distinct concepts. And the Hebrew is called Sedek, and it's called Mishpah, right? Mishpah, again, is those uh, uh, procedures, those those bodies of, of, of art, if you will. I think of policymaking in ways as art um, that allows there to be accountability. It allows for there to be an administration. It allows for there to be an account, an accountability and administration of resource, right? Righteousness or the or the or the Sadek is more so the the discipline of accountability, if you will. And I, I don't even give it justice. And so for us to be believers, we have to first be able to investigate what we believe. Because it wasn't a, a, a God of religion that saved us. Right? It was a salvation of the soul. That, that freed us and that gave us humanity. That was the promise. The promise of humanity is what saves. Mm. But the moment we become so idealized to the things of the world, to become idolized to the wines of the world, we begin to forget. That's the sin. That's the sin. Yeah. And so when you talk about pursuing justice, what is justice? What is, what does it look like for people to be saved from the sins of the world? Let's talk about that. It's not just reform and electing Barack Obama or Joe Biden and getting rid of Donald Trump, because reality is they too are sinning. The question now becomes, how do we restore the promise? Restoration, rededication, right? Consecration. There's a scripture in the Hebrew that talks about the sins of AI, where there's a person who literally takes something that didn't belong to him and instead belonged to God when they ravaged through that, that, that little city, right? After Jericho, when they get to AI. And so it says, we have to consecrate. We have to consecrate the, the entire land. Mm -hmm. So everybody suffers for a little bit so that we can identify where the pain is coming from. Note that. And so once we begin to consecrate, we begin to identify what is happening within our midst while at the same time rededicating that which belongs not to us, but to God, back to God. Where is the V? Mm -hmm. Have we still forgotten the E? Or is it time for us to consecrate? Mm -hmm. You know, as I reflect on, on what you're saying, I think of, uh, I think of the ability, uh, for all different types of people to uh, have space at the table that you're trying to create, right? And can latch on to this vision of freedom, right? And as, you know, as a theologian, as a liberationist theologian myself, I am really, I'm always concerned with can everyone uh, come into that space of being able to breathe, right? Whether they share my faith or not, whether they, uh, because there is a, um, there is a hesitancy that people have, you know, when people hear religion fueling you, right? Because religion fueling us, there are all different types of people out here and all politicians that have some type of religion fueling them aren't doing good work, right? <laughs> so, 
what I hear in you is this ability, this expansiveness to see everyone and to perceive everyone. And although this vision fuels you, you're not trying to diminish other people's uh, quality of life. I really hear um, a holistic uh, message, vision, pro-lifeness that you in what you're saying. So what, what do you think about that? I want to read something that uh, a gentleman shared about salvation. It's a little, he says, for those who claim salvation, yet do not acknowledge and celebrate the true wholeness of all, with all, and in all, and do not seek its manifestation on earth are still not whole nor save themselves. Instead, many become the wolves in sheep's clothing, the whitewashed tombs, the blind guys, the hypocrites. They see and seek for themselves what they deny others and deny for others. Yet to their fiery frustration and their destructive demise, Jesus is not interested in their individual salvation. It does not even exist. But rather, it, his way is in the wholeness and the renewal of all things, mind, body, spirit, humanity, community, earth, the universe, all together. For Jesus, social justice is, is salvation. Racial justice is salvation. Equality and equity is salvation. Universal health care is salvation. Living wages is salvation. The, for Jesus, the death of toxic Christianity is salvation. The death of patriarchy and the death of war and religious elitism and political greed and oppression, that's salvation. In fact, there can be no salvation without them. All else is but a gospel that is no gospel at all. Wholeness for all, with all, in all, that's the good news. So maybe you already is become what is because of love. That is salvation. That's what I thought about when, when you just said that. Yeah, I love that because we, in a lot of evangelical and evangelical adjacent adjacent spaces, there's this line that gets trotted out sometimes. People say that I believe that if I were the only person on earth, that Jesus still would have died for me. Um, and I always like I, I stopped because it sounded cool, but I was like, wait, if you were the only person then you would have been the one to put Jesus to death, right? And I think it speaks to the idea, this idea of this individualistic salvation robs us of the reflection necessary to contemplate what it means in terms of wholeness in general. So thank you for sharing that, Reed. I do appreciate that. Right now, my, my main my main focus uh, is to support my family um, as well as continue learning. And I'm, I'm almost finished with, actually finished with seminary because I took about a year, year and a half off uh, during the pandemic, as I was leading the Georgia NAACP, and um, you know, I just couldn't finish or get, you know, really dedicate and focus on school. So I took some time off, but now I'm back in and finishing up my last semester and graduate. Um, and so my partner and I, are, we're going to, you know, continue to focus on on getting out of the, the academy and then see what's next. But but ultimately, my focus, like I said, is to continue doing the work to serve and to build, you know, experience and wisdom in ways that we can lead our people uh, in the most loving of ways. It's, it's not, it's not easy. Um, and a lot of people kind of posture themselves to take one route to the next or one job to the next, one title to the next. 
um, and not really take some time to really evaluate uh, how far they've come, where they are, and ultimately where they want to go. Um, I I really submit myself to you know the timing and the and the processes of the, of the creator because I mean I've, had, I've it's been times where I've had plans and God was like nope. And I tried to fight back. And so I, I'm at a place now where I'm kind of like, you know, have your way, have your way, have your way. And and God works miracles. is is kind of crazy. Nice. 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 I'm um, glad about that. Sorry. Sorry if I say, seem kind of dumbfounded and stupefied because uh, there, there are times when I'm listening that I've, I've wrestled in the past with uh, my call to ministry and this impulse I feel towards being involved like in, in civic engagement and things of that nature. Like um, once upon a time, I, I fancy myself as somebody who might run for office one day. I've long since disabused myself of that notion, but just uh, the desire to become more involved in like even local politics, right? Like staying on top of county commissions and things of that nature. Is there one piece of advice that you could give to somebody like me? who is trying to sort through what that looks like or what the first step might be in, in becoming not necessarily a leader, but even involved in the, the, the policy making space or policy space, not just making, but, but, but policy monitoring or accountability space in terms of civic engagement. Uh, I think of really two things. One, I think of the discernment, right? You have to trust yourself. I mean, you're not stupid. You're not dumb, right? Like you, you, you know something's up, and you gotta trust yourself because what you trust is not just you. You trust the spirit within you, and and which leads me to the final point is just do it. I mean, you don't have to have an invitation. You don't have to have the degrees. You don't have to have the dollars behind your name. You literally just have to get out there and do it. Um, cause we, when you do, you'll realize that the people out here are just trying to wing it just as well as you. So you're not missing out on anything or you're, you don't have to, you know, meet a threshold of experience per se. You just got to do it. I mean, I was, when I first got involved, I was 20, 19, 20, 21 years old and ran against a Republican who was sitting uh, chairman of a house committee on intergovernmental affairs. Didn't know it. Didn't know that the district was red as all through and through, but, I ran because I saw that there was a need and there needed to be a voice that fought back against what was happening. And I lost that election, but I won in the long term because now she's no longer in that seat. I mean, in that seat, she's at home retired. She, she didn't lose. She just stopped running. But guess who is still there serving? I hear it. I love that. I appreciate it. Hi. Uh, go ahead, sir. No, no, that was it. Said, okay, do it. sorry. Yeah, I, um, for the last question uh, that we have for you, I am curious in light of, um, you know, so there are all these things that we've been talking about related to the problems in our nation. Um, you know, we've had mass shootings after mass shootings recently. Mass incarceration is uh, still a thing. Um, police brutality, uh didn't take a leave of absence. And I'm curious uh, your thoughts on looking to this next election cycle, because it's about to start, um, messaging is about to start rolling out. Um, that's usually unhelpful. So I'm just curious if you could just talk to people, uh, what you would say going into this next uh, heavy election cycle. 
I didn't know there was an election coming up because like we live day to day. I mean, sure. the last election cycle didn't address it. The mm-hmm. election cycle before that didn't address it. Election cycle before that didn't address it. Everybody talked the talk. Mm-hmm. But democracy is a messy game. And democracy is also weak right now. And so we don't have the luxury of looking at the next cycle when the lives of people are hanging literally in the mist right now. Exactly. So that's what I tell people. I said, November is is literally, we haven't even gotten February yet. We're talking about November. Mm-hmm. In November, not 2023, we're talking about 2024 when most people, won't, a lot of people won't even be here. Exactly. So our focus has to be, how do we address the needs of the people, the material conditions of the people right now? And we realize that, that the state is not a savior. It never has been, never will be. In fact, the state killed the savior. Because the name Yeshua literally in Hebrew means the one who commits treason. That's why if you look in the scripture, there's not just one Jesus, there's two. Pilate goes to the crowd in Rome and says what? He says, which one of these prisoners should I let go free? Yeshua, the son of the king, which is uh, Jesus the Christ is the, the king of the Jews. I'm excuse, well, he said Yeshua, the king of the Jews, or Yeshua, the son of right. the father. Yeah. Bar Abbas. Bar meaning son, Abbas meaning father. Abba, father. Yeah. So there's two Jesuses even in the text. And so one must rationally inquire as to what is the, the, the relevance. Why is this Bar Abbas given the, the title Jesus. And when you do your investigation, you realize that the state of Rome literally imposes the term, the title, the declaration of Yeshua on people who commit acts of treason against the state. Is that what we mean when we say we follow the way? Because if we follow the way, we should not be one and, and the same. We should not be the actors and officials of the state. But rather, we should be the ones who are literally committing acts against it. That's something to think about. I love that. Talk I about liberation that. theology. Mm-hmm. Amen. So Amen. if we're not we're ready to commit treason, then I think we must reconsider our notions of operating within the prophetic because the prophetic literally means death. Doesn't it mean promises and proclamations of, of cars, clothes, and 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 <laughs> but it means that we have been given the, 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 the painful task of claiming death over disaster, while at the same time declaring life over dead things. And so that takes a considerable amount of pain and agony to endure. But the end, um, I do believe that, that justice is on the other side. Uh, notice I said justice, not freedom. So that's kind of what I think about, you know, when folks talk about the next election cycle and all of that, I'm like, okay, people are dying right now and elected officials aren't going to save them, mm-hmm. even if they're in office. Mm-hmm. And so our question now must now become, well, how do we save them? Mm-hmm. And let's start there. Amen. Uh- so, uh, Major, first and foremost, thank you so much for not only spending this time with us, but I thank you for that uh, that call to action, that challenge that you just issued. Um, I can typically deduce or surmise that the spirit of God has moved or spoken when you feel challenged 
um, to move to another level, right? To, to, to when you feel called out of your comfort zone. And even that, um, just, just that <laughs> juxtaposition of, of Jesus, son of Mary and Joseph and, and Jesus Bar, Barabbas, Barabbas, right? Uh, it, 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 that's something that's going to sit with me for a while. I imagine it's going to sit with a lot of uh, different people. And uh, the most uncomfortable part about that for a lot of them is neither one of them got to got to move comfortably <laughs> within the status quo neither one of them so you got to make a choice and, and, and you got to decide what that looks like for you i appreciate that um and i am grateful that you have blessed us with uh, this this wisdom these thoughts for reflection i want to encourage people uh to look you up to support you to go ahead and cop that book wired for racism and i do want to give you an opportunity to let the people know where they can connect with you most definitely. I thank you guys for, for allowing me to grace this space um, and to be graced by your presence. Um, you all can connect with me on social media at I Major Wish, I M A J O R W I S H. Um, and it's on all platforms. So definitely connect with me. I'm as engaging as it comes. I'm, you know, I'm not a celebrity or anything like that. So I follow back too. <laughs> I can vouch, I can vouch, I can vouch for that. Truly. <laughs> well, amen and amen. Hey everyone, on the front burner for today, I want to highlight two books. And this isn't disconnected from the fact that it is Women's History Month. And I just wanted to highlight first a book that I am loving by Dr. Sammy Shock. And it is called Black Disability Politics. And it is good when you're thinking about disability justice, disability work, activism, uh, a politic that makes sense. It's good. It's too good. <clears throat> the other one, I want to highlight uh, Andy Colbert's book. Uh, she's a licensed professional counselor, and she wrote a new book called Strong Like Water. Finding the freedom, safety, and compassion to move through hard things and experience true flourishing. Mm. Y'all go ahead and get them books, okay? We appreciate you rocking with us for another episode of Three Black Men. Here's the part of the show where we ask a favor from you. Now, earlier I mentioned a couple of ways that you can support us by joining our community over at patreon.com slash three black men. We have multi-tiered support options and you can get bonus content. If you don't want to do that, you can submit a one-time contribution by finding us on PayPal at three black men podcast at gmail.com. But we ain't here to tap your pockets. Here's a few ways that you can help us out without spending a single dime. You can stop what you're doing right here, right now, and make sure that you've left us a review and a rating. Don't just give us the five stars. Go ahead and write out how much you love this show and tell everybody about it. Do it on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you at. Make sure you leave that rating and a review, and that's going to help even more people join the fun over here. Thank you so much. I knew God loved you for some reason. <laughs>